Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, November the 6th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, since we missed all the big news being on airplanes on Monday, we'll get into the items and discuss what they mean on this edition. Plus, it's all 22 Wednesday, and that will take us right up to the end as we have pushed crossover Wednesday to tomorrow's show, where I'll fully preview the game in Indy, but first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins, and with that, let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins Touching down in Dallas on Monday night, I pull up my phone once I get back into service and see two massive news items, as well as a text from one of the most loyal Locked On Dolphins listeners, hi Noah, telling me I have to update the podcast on Monday night, but getting in at 2am and technically on a a 5am body clock, that was just never going to happen, so to be perfectly frank... Sorry, but I'm not sorry, and I hope that sarcasm finds its way through this audio translation. And we are back home, finally, with two screens again for the podcast, and I can't tell you how good that feels because it's way easier to get this done with my two screens, and we're back in familiar territory, although it doesn't feel as great to be back in 40-degree weather. Let's go ahead and get to those items up first. Preston Williams out for the season with a torn ACL, and I think the biggest news here is that everybody was upset about the fact that he was returning punts. I've complained about it all year. I've never seen a six foot five receiver as a punt returner, especially when Jakeem Grant, who for my money is the best punt returner in the National Football League, is on the roster. I just never got the point. I think the best thing you can use as a descriptor for why he was back there is that they wanted to give him the most workload they possibly could this season to advance his development. We saw it in training camp. He was back there for punts. We saw it in the preseason and it rolled over into the regular season and I still disagree with it. But I will say this, special teams return men very rarely get hurt. I think the one that was most notable was Jason Seahorn back for the Giants. And I just think that's kind of overblown in terms of the injury. It's a fluke thing that just happens sometimes. He's out for the year. Hopefully he's back for 2020's training camp. Although Brian Flores said he might miss some time into camp. And that could just be an idea of not putting pressure on Preston to rush back through this ACL. Because I do believe, and we'll talk about his film study in segment number three, that he will be back to the number one receiver form that he was playing in before this injury. And he could have had the record for undrafted free agent rookie receiver yards in the Super Bowl era. He was on pace to do that. But now, obviously, that will not happen. The other big news item, Mark Walton, Dolphins running back, and right now, frankly, the only guy getting any snaps. He was out there for about 75% of the workload on Sunday. He has been suspended for four games. He will miss the Colts, Bills, Browns, and Eagles and be back in time for the trip to New York in back-to-back weeks. And then, of course, finish out the season with the Bengals and Patriots. But this stems back to his three arrests in the offseason. It was not a new item. And the Dolphins did know about the, the suspension coming before they traded Kenyon Drake. They decided it was okay. And so if you're in on the idea of the tank, 
I guess getting two of your best offensive players currently off the roster is in fact beneficial, but I personally don't like it because I want to see Preston develop and continue this rookie season because I think it would have been good for him going into his second year. Other news item, an international game in 2020 is coming. It could be divisional. It could be anyone else that is unclear. At this time, one thing we know for sure, it won't be the Patriots because the NFL wouldn't dare make their schedule any more difficult than it already has to be. Or maybe they will because the Dol- or because the Patriots rather struggle so much at Hard Rock Stadium. One way or the other, the Dolphins are playing either in London or Mexico City in 2020 and it'll cost them a home game, unfortunately. And if you guys have been on Twitter this week, which you usually are if you're listening to this podcast, and I am very active on Twitter, you saw me talking pretty pretty effectively about what I think about this coaching staff and mostly in response to a certain beat writer who is kind of just talking nonsense about this coaching staff right now. I just wanted to go ahead and lay some points down here that I think are a good indicator of how well this coaching staff is performing. And we'll talk about the all 22 review of the coaching staff and their schemes and designs on Sunday, which I'll tell you right now, they destroyed Adam Gase and Greg Williams on either side of the ball. But let's go ahead and talk about this one first. The Dolphins are 33 and one since 2011 when scoring 25 points or more, and that's the best in the NFL over that period. The first thing you think about there is that Miami has only scored 30 or 25 points rather in 34 games in the last eight years. That's not great. And in a way, I think it kind of speaks to the overall incompetence of Dolphins coaching staffs of that era, going basically from Joe Philbin to Adam Gaze. And of course, you had Dan Campbell in there for just a minute, and now half a year of Brian Flores. And the first game where his team scores over 25 points, they actually win that game. But to me, it just says that you've had coaching staffs that haven't gotten the most out of their talent. And we're going to talk about development on this podcast sometime either this week or next week as development on the roster has been an issue in the past. And now it looks like a strength. And it makes me think that the coaching staffs of the past didn't know how to get the most out of their roster because you should be scoring 25 points a lot more than that. And the fact that you won so many games when you did score that many points tells me that you've had a lot of talent on the roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And speaking of the coaching staff and defense this year, since the bye week, and this stat comes from our buddy Kevin Dern, the former co-host of the Finalysis podcast and the most frequent guest here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, the Dolphins are number 15 in total defense the last last four weeks since the bye week and they are number nine in passing defense let that soak in for a minute you didn't have Xavier Howard for any of those games except for one that you ranked top 10 in passing defense and yeah sure it was Case Keenum and Josh Allen and Mason Rudolph and Sam Darnold but look at the roster the Dolphins have right now we talked about it on yesterday's podcast plenty of undrafted free agents and unsung guys in that secondary giving you a top 10 pass defense through four weeks of the season and a top 15 total defense That is such a feather in the cap of Brian Flores and tells you exactly what you need to know about this coaching staff. Another off-the-wall note and a great addition, one of the best trades I think this franchise has made in some time, the Vince Beagle for Kiko Alonso swap. Kiko has eight tackles in New Orleans. Vince Beagle is fifth in quarterback hits per snap that have at least 10 hits on the quarterback. And that stat comes from a member of the Dolphins PR staff, I think it was. I forget his name, but I'll go back and check on that later. So Vince Beagle, one of the most pressures per snap or quarterback hits per snap in the NFL right now. 
And then one last note here on coaching staffs and who I think is a decent example or a decent comparison to Tony or to Brian Flores rather. And it's Tony Dungy. And I put this video up on my timeline earlier on Tuesday, a video clip from the football night in America recap show where he says that Brian Flores got his first win and congratulated Flores on that first win and said that he himself did not get his first victory until the seventh week of the season. The Buccaneers were 0-5 before he got that first win. They then won six of the final 11 games, so turning things around from winless to over 500. That was a precursor to a 10 and 6 mark in 1997. He then went 8 and 8, 11 and 5, 10 and 6, 9 and 7. Then he left, and of course John Gruden won the Super Bowl with that Buccaneers team the next year, and he goes to Indianapolis and Dungey goes 85 and 27 with the Colts, including one Super Bowl title. I think he's a good comparison for how Brian Flores could be in a guy that has the same message and same demeanor and same respect for his players and has a great way to relate to those players in the National Football League. And then one last news item here before we turn it over. The Dolphins would be moving divisions if, in fact, this L.A. Chargers move to London does happen. Now, the owner of the Chargers came out against this report very heavily a report that says the Chargers will be moving in the near future, and two of the options are St. Louis, which is just weird to me, put them back in San Diego, or the other option, more likely option, take them over to London, and then that, by virtue of the location geographically of these teams, would cause a shakeup in the division alignment, and the Dolphins would be impacted by it. The Chargers would go to the AFC East, the Texans would go to the AFC West, and the Miami Dolphins would move to the AFC South, the division they probably belong in the most, with the Jaguars, Colts, and Titans. How does that sound, Dolphins fans? I know we would lose the rivalries, but those teams, eh, they're not that great. But then again, Brady could be gone, of course, from the AFC East here soon, and the Bills and Jets are still the Bills and Jets. So that's for another day. We're going to come back on the other side of the podcast, get into the All-22, and much more next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. While on the airplane, I was thinking of some topics for the podcast, and one thing that we're going to talk about in the offensive review here on the All-22 is the gamble to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick over Josh Rosen, or more so the idea to sign Ryan Fitzpatrick in the offseason because right now he's playing really good football, but the risk versus the reward of playing Ryan Fitzpatrick on this football team who wants to maybe get the first pick in next year's draft and where Josh Rosen would play would probably cost you some buy-in from the guys on the on the rest of the roster rather and prevent you from establishing that culture of a winning mentality and doing the small things that matter the most because if the coaching staff is not making the best decisions to best suit this team to win games, then how the hell can you sell that message to the players and that's kind of the risk-reward aspect of it. But then the risk aspect of it is that you could possibly lose out on the first pick in the draft, which, of course, could mean no Tua Tungavailoa. And trust me, nobody wants him more than I do. So it's an interesting dichotomy in terms of how you lay that out with what the best idea is. I tend to think of this team, if they happen to win more games, I think it'll suck to lose out on Tua. But it does give you the idea this coaching staff is in the right, heading in the right direction, rather, and has these guys establishing this foundation for a great culture and great mindset going forward. Let's talk about the All-22 here and the Dolphins' defense. And I put out a tweet on Tuesday that was probably pretty shocking. This is the best Dolphins' defensive performance... Performance? 
that I've ever evaluated on film. And granted, I've only been doing this for about five or so years now with the attention to detail that you've come to know from me, but the structure and concepts of this defense really remains impressive to me and the biggest tip of the cap to Brian Flores and his staff for getting it out of guys who, if we're being perfectly honest, probably wouldn't be on most NFL teams, much less starting and playing significant reps. So he has gotten that out of these guys, a big tip of the cap to Brian Flores and his coaching staff. And we usually start up front on defense, but let's go back there to the defensive backfield because that's where this game was won for Miami. And we start with undrafted free agent Nick Needham, who had an excellent game against the Jets. Nine tackles, a sack, and a number of big plays in crucial moments. He made an open field tackle on Le'Veon Bell, an undrafted free agent from UTEP versus a $13 million per year all-pro running back. That matchup doesn't really go in the Dolphins' favor most times, but if you recall back to the podcast with Nick's mother, Shannon Needham, she told us about his mindset, his mentality, and his work ethic. He bowed up and made that big play right there. He then chases Bell down on a screen pass with a great hustle effort play. He makes that sack a great tackle of Darnold, and his best play was a zone recognition that was executed to absolute perfection, where he presses a nasty split slot receiver from the back backside. Nasty split means you're condensed and tight to the formation. He then carries that crosser to the play side, then turns the receiver over to Ryan Lewis and passes him off into his zone and Lewis had alerted the robber, the safety, Jamal Wiltz on this play of a mesh crosser, someone coming over into his zone where he has to come down and close on that crossing route and as Wiltz closes on the crosser, he, Robbie Anderson, breaks the route back to the corner on the backside of the formation and from there, Needham falls off the coverage and tips the pass away way. It's in that Twitter thread, the Dolphins All-22 Defensive Review, and my goodness, was it impressive, just as was his entire game on Sunday. And then Ryan Lewis, he played exceptional as well. He was the reason for Jamal Wiltz's INT down there on Sam Darnold, or Sam Donald, as we're calling him now. He reroutes the rub so significantly that it puts Crowder off of his path entirely and gave Wiltz a chance to recover and make that interception. And on that play as well, Raquan McMillan did an excellent job on his rush to hurry Darnold and force that errant throw, but back to Wilts, nine tackles and the interception. He played a lot of safety and was in correct position a lot. So was Eric Rowe, who's also playing a lot of safety in this game. I thought he had a really good game finding his landmarks on spot drops as well as supporting the run game. That might be his long-term fit if they decide to bring him back next year. We'll see about that though. He has a long way to go, eight games to prove it. The first clip in that defensive thread is a beautiful job of guys knowing their their tasks and their job on the rep. If you know an Adam Gay's offense, you know he has the same principles he goes back to over and over again, like a naked bootleg layers concept where you have a deep a deep route attacking the deep part of the defense, an intermediate route and an underneath route, and you usually bring that intermediate route from the backside crosser. The backside crosser is picked up by Raekwon McMillan, who takes his eyes off the quarterback to run the route for the tight end and completely takes it away. Eric Rowe in the spot drop. He finds the exact right spot for where the route will end up and takes that away. You have Ryan Lewis who contacts the receiver once the quarterback breaks the pocket. So smart because you're allowed to do that even beyond five yards. And then lastly, you have the underneath coverage from I think it was Jerome Baker who carried out the split zone action into the flat. This defense is well coached. They know their roles. They know their responsibilities and they do their job. At least they have recently. And then back to the linebackers and Jerome Baker. He's getting better every week inside as an A gap or B gap stand-up two-point stance rush presence. The video I retweeted from NFL Media on Tuesday where he's mic'd up is very funny. I love that one. After he makes the play, he starts shouting out, I'm a D-tackle! Cool to see him having some fun out there. 
especially in the way this season has gone. His other partner at linebacker, Raekwon McMillan, was business as usual, kicking ass in the run game, defeating blocks. That's just who he is. Now, that's not normally business as usual for Charles Harris, but it was in this game. He played an aggressive brand where he attacked blockers and reset them. They established this base, and he knocks them off that base. He was forcing ends around end arounds to bubble where they have to go backwards. He was condensing and resetting the edge, disengaging and making tackles. A really good game from Chuck Harris on Sunday. Up front, Christian Wilkins, that was his best game as a pro. We talked about the run stops and pressures, most of all on his sack, which was actually a coverage bust that he saved. Would have been a touchdown, but then he got into Darnold's face just as it opened up and forced him to try to extend the play, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't escape, and Wilkins is so strong at the point of attack on double teams. He does very well to hold up against those doubles and even work back into the gap that they want to knock him out of with a double team. That should be a given for most double teams, but not Christian Wilkins. And then also inside, Devon Godshaw. To me, he's a lot like Raekwon McMillan in that I know what I'm going to get every single Sunday. There was a great two-gap technique where he showed his understanding of the scheme, of the style of football they want to play. In the old one-gap style, he would have been taken out by a wham block, but his patience kept him in the play. He stacked it up, then worked over the tackle to make a play and make a tackle because he was working against the Jets' tackle on the play, and he had to come all the way across his face to make that play. We talked about Vince Beagle, the same damn menace he's been all year long as a rusher and even a run defender in this game that's really all i have to say about that and that's all i have to say about that that's all i have to say about that and just in total there were a lot of fun looks in this game pre-snap disguise cover two two man man free cover six they even pulled christian wilkins back into coverage on one play with a three-man rush lots of stunts and twists as always they just completely punked adam gaze in this game and frankly I think this coaching staff has been the better staff in each of the last four weeks, and that should really tickle Dolphins fans pink at this stage. We're going to come back and get to the offensive all 22 on the other side, but first, long day at work, still stuck in the office, open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered right to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code LOCKEDON. We'll talk about quarterbacks here in just one second, but first, the offensive all-22 review. You guys can find the thread up on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL, part of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we don't talk a whole lot about Ryan Fitzpatrick's skill set on this program, and that's becoming more and more disingenuous because this guy is playing really good football right now. This offense, as Rosen and Fitz have both told us, and Tom Brady before them, really empowers the quarterback. It gives the cerebral quarterback more control since they are capable of altering the route combination to either side of the field individually. And there's a great example of that where the Dolphins ran so many double vertical routes to the same side of the field in two by two sets or three verticals with two verticals to one side and one to the other. And the reason you want to do that is to hold the safety to create a one-on-one chance down the sideline to either Preston Williams or Devontae Parker. We talked about it in the preview podcast Friday, and that's exactly what they did. Now, conversely, you look at the Jets plan on the other side of the ball, and there's a lot of mirror concepts, and that's where the route combinations are identical on both sides of the formation, and that really just speaks to the coach's trust, or lack thereof, in his quarterback, 
And yeah, baby, even Gase is souring on Sam Darnold, just like he did with Ryan Tannehill last year. It's a thing of beauty. Their number three overall draft pick playing like absolute doo-doo leads the NFL this year in red zone interceptions, despite the fact that he missed three games. I've talked about his, what, 32 turnovers in, what, 19 career games at this point. Fitzpatrick, on the other hand, is moving the defense with his eyes and body position. He's throwing with velocity and accuracy. I haven't seen him miss more than a couple of throws the last few weeks. He's trusting his protection to the point of allowing it to get as bad as it possibly can but while keeping his eyes on the rush and downfield in order to allow his routes to develop downfield before he fires it away at just the last second. He's making scramble plays, and he's really, really anticipating well in the scheme. It's fun to watch. He's growing and getting better as the season goes along, just as is the rest of the team, the way many Patriots teams have in the past. But I will say this, it's still one of my biggest pet peeves with the way this roster was constructed. It feels like they were all in on the quote-unquote tank from the front office in terms of disassembling this roster. And you might tell me, Travis, shut up with the tank talk, but let's be real about this. They stripped this roster down to its bare bones, but this move with the quarterback goes in the complete opposite direction of that. And even as much as Miami dominated this game, I wonder what the result would have been if Josh Rosen was in fact out there. In the backfield, I still don't think this current backfield is really all that indicative of what we're going to see in the future. To me, Mark Walton is a very good number three, maybe a fringe number number two. And then Kalen Balage, even though he had his best run of the season in this game, there's still such a lack of creativity behind those two backs. At receiver, we talked about Preston Williams in the open. He's out for the year, but the way he's able to sink his hips at the top of routes and chase defensive backs blind spots, that's really elite level receiver play. And he did it multiple weeks in a row before the injury. We're going to miss him. Devontae Parker's releases at the line of scrimmage. There was a great one where he basically put Jamal Adams into retirement and then of course dropped the football. But then he came back on that same drive and showed you the excellent rebounding and body position to use his body to shield the defender and catch the ball one-handed. He is getting better each week. And Mike Kosicki, speaking of getting better each week, man, this guy is coming on. Talked about him a lot on the podcast in the past. He has some really clean releases. He fights through those reroutes by dropping his pad level and he's staying balanced through that contact and through the stem of the route and using speed to stress the defense before he breaks his route at the top of the stem. And finally, he is much stronger at the top of the route and the catch point. It's been fun to watch his maturation this year. I think the Dolphins found their flex tight end in this offense. On the offensive line, Jamarcus Webb and Michael Dieter continue to struggle in pass protection. There's probably a missed assignment every single week from Dieter at this point. But damn, is he good at getting to the second level in the running game. Evan Bame, an ass kicker in the truest of forms. I asked him about that in the postgame presser on Sunday's game. He thought that was pretty funny. He buries guys and does well to quickly get to the reach blocks as well on this offense. Chris Reed at right guard, I thought had some really good moments. He's still platooning at that spot with Keaton Sutherland, but I think he's the better option. He turns guys out in the run game pretty often. And Jesse Davis had a really good game in this one both run and pass blocking. There was a comment from Coach Googe about the idea of moving Davis back to guard, and he was not at all on board with that, so maybe Davis is a tackle long-term. Just in, in terms of the design of this offense, it sure is fun. They build off pass concepts. They're excellent, absolutely excellent 
at creating mismatches in the offense, using motion as a man zone indicator. And the best play I saw in this game, I think, from Chad O'Shea was that misdirection shovel inside on third and one to Alan Hearns. You get Jakeem Grant going across the formation. It tips off the man coverage. You pull a couple of backside blockers to get in front. I think it was Chris Reed who made the big block on that one. And Hearns picks up eight on a third down and one. And that was the all 22 man. Go check out the videos. They're up on my timeline at Wingfield NFL. I think there was about 19 defensive videos and 16 offensive videos. So plenty for you guys to digest on that. A lot of fun for me to do. This was by far the most fun game to watch on film this year. And with that, that'll put a wrap on the Jets game and the victory over the Jets as we turn things now on tomorrow's podcast to the Colts. And one last note on the Colts tomorrow on Sunday, rather. The ESPN Football Power Index gives the Dolphins a 10% chance at victory. And that really tells you how long this team or how far this team has to go from a talent standpoint. But I do believe they have accomplished the idea of creating a culture and mindset that curates young, motivated, hungry players to set the example, to set the expectation for how they're going to do things in this building going forward. An example that's set at the top by Brian Flores and all the new guys next year are going to learn very, very quickly what's expected of you as a Miami Dolphin to be a smart, tough, disciplined football player. Man, I'm excited about the future of this team. And one more note before I get out of here. I mentioned this on Twitter on Tuesday that we're in for a very fun offseason as there are going to be some big names moving about the league. Even a big-time quarterback, as it has been reported on Tuesday via uh, Diana Rossini on the Will Kane show, she mentioned that Cam Newton going to injured reserve and his move from Carolina is pretty much imminent at this point as they can save $19 million by cutting the 31-year-old quarterback and only have to eat $2 million in dead cap. One way or the other, Cam is going to end up on a team that needs a quarterback and will remove a team's need from quarterback out of the draft altogether. Will it be Miami? I tend to think no, and I say no because of the injuries. Although I will say that Cam Newton's running prowess in the red zone combined with Chad O'Shea when he was in his prime Cam, that would have made for a great match, but I don't think it is anymore because Cam has kind of broken down to the point to where he's not the running quarterback and he's not accurate enough. He's the low completion percentage, but big play guy, kind of like in baseball, the guy that can hit dingers, but might strike out a few times. He was that guy. I don't think he is that guy anymore. He might be a power hitter that strikes out way more often than he should. So maybe his best days are behind him. And then in Jacksonville, Nick Foles was named the starter and like a bunch of morons, honestly, because Gardner Minshew is freaking awesome. Watch him in two-minute situations. And that's a rookie that almost always wins in those spots. Two-minute drills late in the game. He gets the offense up and down the field. But I guess they have to find out what they have in their investment in Nick Foles. But if Minshew becomes available and we can't get Tua or maybe even quarterback two, who right now for me still is Jake Fromm, I'm going to throw resources at the position and go all in on this spot year after year until I get it right. And I'm going to go ahead and call them and ask them what would it take to get Gardner Minshew since you can't keep that guy on the bench. And that's all based on the idea, again, that you'll lose out on Tua because to me, he remains option one, one A, one B, option two, three, four, just so we're clear on that entirely. 
Oh boy, that is how you get through a bunch of material in one half of an hour, and that's going to do it for my time on this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Wednesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a preview edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up!